the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. God of abundant life, by the gift of your Spirit, tune our hearts and minds to hear your living word afresh. May our lives answer your eternal word with resurrection hope. Amen. A reading from the first letter of Peter. Listen for God's word to you. Therefore, since Christ suffered as a human, you should also arm yourselves with his way of thinking. This is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their human lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. You have wasted enough time doing what unbelievers desire, living in their unrestrained immorality and lust, their drunkenness and excessive feasting and wild parties, and their forbidden worship of idols. They think it's strange that you don't join in these activities with the same blood of unrestrained wickedness. So they slander you. They will have to reckon with the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Indeed, this is the reason the good news was also preached to the dead. This happened so that, although they were judged as humans according to human standards, they could live by the Spirit according to divine standards. The end of everything has come. Therefore, be self-controlled and clear-headed so that you can pray. Above all, show sincere love to each other, because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. Open your homes to each other without complaining, and serve each other according to the gift each person has received as good managers of God's diverse gifts. Whoever speaks should do so as those who speak God's word. Whoever serves should do so from the strength that God furnishes. Do this so that in everything God may be honored through Jesus Christ. To God be honor and power forever and always. Amen. Dear friends, don't be surprised about the fiery trials that have come among you to test you. These are not strange happenings. Instead, rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. You share his suffering now so that you may also have overwhelming joy 
when his glory is revealed. If you are mocked because of Christ's name, how worthy of honor are you for the spirit of glory, indeed, the spirit of God rests on you. Now none of you should suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or rebel, but don't be ashamed if you suffer as one who belongs to Christ. Rather, honor God as you bear Christ's name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1942, a little Canadian girl woke up to icicles beside her bed. The walls of her family's tar paper shack had no insulation, and the British Columbian winter was bitter cold. This was no place for a child to grow up, much less a place any human being should live. But her mother was sure they wouldn't be there much longer. In just a few months, the Canadian government would let them return to their homes in Vancouver. For now, they had to wait and take each day at a time in Tashmi internment camp. That little girl was one of 2,600 Japanese Canadians forcibly relocated to Tashmi, one of thousands driven into camps across the United States and Canada. Years later, she told the story in passing to her niece, Julie Tomiko Manning, who was shocked. Like many third- and fourth-generation Japanese Canadians, Julie knew about the swift actions the government took against its citizens of Japanese ancestry after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But Issei and Nisei elders, first- and second-generation Canadians, hardly ever spoke about their experiences of this injustice. They didn't speak about police rounding up men in fishing boats and sending them to labor camps without letting them say goodbye to their families. They didn't speak about mothers trying to pack enough warm clothes for their children or about how neighbors said that they would look after their belongings but then gave them away. They didn't talk about makeshift hospitals in horse stables or about a processing checkpoint erected right next to an amusement park where a barbed wire fence told children that they were enemies. A few years ago, Manning and a collaborator, Matt Miwa, sought out these painful memories from their elders and wove them into a theater piece, the Tashmi Project. Listening to their stories sends a shiver down my spine. Each story is a reminder that decades of prejudice can catalyze into dehumanizing injustice. It happened in the 40s. It can happen again today. I wonder what stories the children of Peter's church communities might have told their grandchildren. Not for the first time in his letter does Peter write about suffering, about enduring fiery trials, 
But he doesn't spell out this persecution. He doesn't need to. After all, his original listeners knew their situation. It's only here, in chapter 4, that Peter gives us a glimpse. You have wasted enough time doing what unbelievers desire, living in their unrestrained immorality and lust, their drunkenness and excessive feasting and wild parties, and their forbidden worship of idols. They think it's strange that you don't join in these activities with the same flood of unrestricted wickedness. So they slander you. I wonder about those children. Did they remember staying home while their friends went to the parade honoring the emperor's birthday? Could they recall a time from before when their parents took them to the temples of their city's gods to offer sacrifices? Did they feel the brunt of prejudice from neighbors and family members? Or, or did their parents shield them from the fact that they weren't welcome at their uncle's table or in their cousin's home. I wonder if their parents told them what Peter wrote. The end of everything has come. I wonder if they promised, we won't have to live this way much longer. And like the children in Tashmi and Topaz and Mansanar and other concentration camps throughout the U.S. and Canada, these young Christians believed that their suffering wouldn't last forever. How odd to read Peter's words now, after so many centuries of people expecting the end of the world. And how fitting, too, because we are wrestling with end dates ourselves. This Friday marked the official end of the governor's New York on pause executive order. Phase one of New York Forward will see the reopening of construction projects, manufacturing, and some retail. If conditions remain stable, we'll see a new wave of reopenings every two weeks. For some, the end of a long period of staying isolated is in sight. But others point out that COVID-19 will continue to call the shots for the foreseeable future. Scientists anticipate a second wave of infections as fall turns to winter. They don't expect a vaccine until next spring or summer. We could have a start and stop society through fall 2021. Pastors and musicians are grappling with research that warns about the high risk of singing in groups. Wondering, what does that mean for worship? The end of this pandemic is still a long ways off. And all the while, I hear folks wonder if we'll ever greet one another with a handshake again. We've crossed a threshold. 
closed a chapter. And we are on the brink of a new beginning if we can take a courageous step to wade through the grief that endings unleash. That grief is strong. Grief over the loss of a future we thought we had earned. Grief over the loss of a future we believe our children deserve. Grief over the death of certainty. I bet that the adults in Peter's churches felt that kind of grief too. No wonder Peter encouraged them with the end. The end of everything has come. A new chapter. God's glorious reign, finally holding sway, is about to begin. The end of everything has come. So take the next step. Listen to these great verbs that Peter commends to the churches in Asia and to us. These are his calls to action. Be self-controlled. Clear your head. Pray. Show love. Open your homes. Serve according to the gifts you received. The end isn't a time to twiddle our thumbs. It's a time to engage life fully. Take a moment to consider which of these verbs tugs at my heart? Which of these verbs rumbles in my gut? Listen, that is the Spirit talking, inviting you into a truer, deeper life. It's the Spirit giving you a glimpse of what glory looks like. To God be honor and power forever and always, Peter praises, because God has lavished us with grace upon grace. Pray because God meets us in our struggles. Open your homes and share what you have because God has set a place for us at the table of the Lord. Love because in and through love, God coaxes the seeds of forgiveness to bud and blossom. Serve, because God has given you a gift. God provides the word. God furnishes the strength. God births us into a living hope. Crotchety old saint though he was, Irenaeus said it best. The glory of God is human beings fully alive. All because the living God is moving among us with creativity and compassion. Sometimes folks confuse glory with suffering. Their eyes notice the dancing firelight of hope and joy in the midst of gloom and think gloom must be a prerequisite for hope and joy. Just this week, a neighbor sincerely told me that God sends us trials in order to bring out our best. Oh, 
Others seem quick to equate their suffering with that of innocent victims. Although Peter puts the kibosh on that, do not suffer as a thief or a murderer or an evildoer, he warns. Don't offer to light the fiery furnace yourself and then protest when you're thrown in. Friends, Peter doesn't want us to confuse suffering with glory. And he doesn't sugarcoat pain with talk about God's plan. No, God doesn't ordain us to suffer. God is reaching through our suffering to lift us up. And so in the inhumane living conditions of Tashmi internment camp, Japanese Canadians made a life. They made shoyu and miso. They built schools and churches. They looked after their children to give them happier days. Closer to home, neighbors up and down Seneca Lake are grieving Kelly McCarthy in the wake of her sudden death. They are sharing memories of her vulnerable strength in grieving her husband Chip after his equally unexpected death last year. We are remembering her commitment to cultivating joy even while on chemo. Even now, while the novel coronavirus lays bare decades of inequality built on the dictum, greed is good, the Spirit of God stirs up glory when people care for their community. Clear your head and pray, Peter encourages, and we would do well to follow his counsel so that the health and vitality of the neighbors God has given us remains our priority beyond this crisis. Clear your heads and pray, because people who erect idols of gold will pressure you to bow down. And love, love with abandon, because the end times are stressful times, and I will be in need of forgiveness as much as the next person. Friends, the living God is with us, making us fully alive. In the furnace of this moment, the risen Savior stands with us. We who bear his name will also stand with the persecuted. And the spirit of glory, the spirit of God brings us courage to take the first step and the second and third steps beyond the end into the new beginning. Even if the fire burns down the way things used to be, even if the fire wipes out what we think church should be, the grace of God will still make a way in the wilderness, a road through the sea, a new possibility for life to emerge amidst the ashes.
for such grace. Let us give all glory and all gratitude to God, the one who chose us, who suffered and was raised for us, who is making us holy. Amen.